This is part 10. I actually had planned to conclude today, but I actually don't think I'm going to have time because there's so much to say. I'm talking about what the world is going to look like when Jesus comes back. I started this series on June the 4th, and I, I, took, some, I took a vacation time in between, but uh, if I, I was here, I'm, I'm teaching on this subject. This is actually the 10th week that I've talked about this, and there's so much there's so much that I've covered, but just to recap a couple of things as we go where we're going to go today, there is, there is a rising, a moving of the Holy Spirit, and that's what's in the future for the church, and God wants to get us ready. How many hear me? So I, I want to talk about that, but I want to frame one thing. There's something the Lord placed on my heart. I am sweating bullets. Can somebody give me a Kleenex? I don't know if I got beads on my head. That, oh, you're so kind. Yes, Jesus. Ah. I need one of those hankies. You know, some of those guys got a little hanky, you know. Glory to God. Woo. I come from a long line of sweaters, I just have to tell you. I love to sweat. My daddy, my daddy be picking beans in the garden, and he's got a big drop of sweat every five seconds dropping off his nose. Boom, boom, boom. And that would be me. So anyway, um, I want to frame this. You know, Jesus talked about uh, his disciples asking what the world would look like before he came back. And you'll find the recording of that both in Matthew 24, in Luke 21, and in Mark 13. Those three passages. And then Luke 17 has something to say about it as well. But in those passages, now John didn't talk about it in his uh, in uh, his gospel, but the Matthew, Mark, and Luke record that again. Matthew 24, Mark 13, uh, Luke 21. They're kind of sister chapters and all of them say in a different way the similar things and then uh, Luke 17 uh, talks about Jesus talked about what it would be like uh, just before he come back and he compared it to and I got a sermon on this I haven't preached yet Noah and Lot so I haven't even gotten there yet I don't know when I'll get there one day so we'll see nonetheless um, uh, when you when you think about the time just before Jesus comes back people typically talk about uh, the tribulation, and you hear the word, well, when the tribulation happens. Well, uh, that term, which represents seven years that Daniel saw in Daniel chapter 9, God showed Daniel 490 years into the future from the time of the Babylonian captivity of the Jews uh, up, oh, you're a kind man. I got me a, I got me a hanky. <laughs> Woo, Jesus. Whew, we'll watch that when we get home, won't we? But John, uh, uh, God showed Daniel 400 of Israel's history, and, the, and, and 483 of those years have happened already. In fact, when Jesus died and was raised from the dead, 483 years had happened of the 490 years that God showed Daniel, and um, there's seven years left. And, and that time period seven years it's God again dealing uh, with the Jewish race and bringing all things to pass with the covenants he made with Abraham 
uh, the covenants he made with David, the covenant, the new covenant he has with us, the land covenant that he had with his people, all of that's in view with those seven years that will be fulfilled at some point. Looks like in the not too distant future, but people typically call that the tribulation. Now, if you look in the Bible, you will not, you will not find the term the tribulation. I double dog dare you to find it. I'll give, I have it. I will give you $1,000 cash. Now, I'm going to look now. Yeah, right. In fact, I'll get the cash out of the bank. If you can find a scripture that calls that seven-year period the, three, the tribulation, you won't find it. Now, a lot of people talk about it. There are books written about it. There are theological books written about it, but it doesn't matter. You can't find it. I've looked. So I've, I've called it the tribulation for 25 years, and God changed my tune. So there's three things that are going to be occurring in that seven-year period. And that seven-year period starts with some kind of a, a treaty, an agreement, whatever. Uh, I don't know what it is between Israel and their adversaries. We don't yet know what that is. I, don't think, I think we're right on the verge of that. I know they're talking about a two-state agreement with, between the Palestinians and, and Israel right now. Maybe that. But once that happens... According to Daniel 9.27, that seven-year clock starts ticking. Tick, 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 tick. Got seven years till Jesus comes back in the second coming. Is that cool? Now, in that seven-year, three things happen. Uh, it's divided up. That seven-year period is divided up into three. And I'm, I, that's not even a subject yet. I just want you to see. I'm just trying to frame where we are. So, so uh, I want to put this in print. Uh, anyway, there, there are three, three things will be happening in that seven-year period. The first, first three and a half years of that time are, uh, Jesus called them birth pangs, pains of birth. Be like a pregnant woman. Susan's had four children. I know what that's like. And the closer you get to having that baby, the stronger the contractions come, right? So, so the contractions begin. So Jesus said during that time, there would be wars, rumors of wars. There would be epidemics, infectious diseases. Luke uh, 21, 11, uh, Amplified says, we've had that. There would be both atmospheric issues with uh, in, uh, ridiculously strong storms and then geolog geological issues with earthquakes. And then there would be just consternation and war between um, the ethnic persuasions worldwide. That's all happening. We're right on the verge of really, uh, you don't know, but World War III. I mean, you just don't. The armament is being set in place. I don't have time to talk about it. But uh, I read a lot, and it's happening, and, and the news media is almost saying nothing about it. It's really serious. So all of that Jesus said uh, about the first three and a half years of that is, uh, is coming to pass. Uh, in addition, to, uh, so you got, uh, you got uh, the, the, the uh, what did I just say? <laughs> Birth pains. Second part of it is the Great Tribulation. And uh, uh, this person, this globalist, that's wanting to rule and help everybody, so to speak, under the auspices of everybody being great. He's actually wanting to control everybody. He's going to break his agreement, obviously, that he's made with Israel. They're going to rebuild a temple, and everything's in preparation for that to happen. Uh, and, 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 and he's going to do what happened in the past with Antiochus Epiphanes in 167 B.C., which created the Maccabean Revolt. I know that's history, and for a lot of people, that went over your head. But that's going to happen again. He, uh, he sacrificed uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, was a Grecian uh, conqueror. He, um, he was the son of Alexander the Great, one of his generals. And um, he, um, 
he went into the Jewish temple and slaughtered a pig uh, and then set up a, a statue of Zeus uh, in the temple. And it made the Jews just stinking mad. And they revolted. I mean, they rebelled. I mean, they, they, had, they had gotten real carnal and loose and ungodly, but I'll tell you, it, it'll rattle their cage. And Jesus said that's going to happen again. He called it the abomination of desolation. So that's going to happen. And once that happens, Jews and Christians are going to be uh, uh, persecuted very seriously and very deeply. And Jesus said, I think it's Matthew 24, 21, except those days are shortened, no elect or no believers could be saved. And then, the, so you got the, the birth pangs, you got the great tribulation where there's tremendous persecution of both Christians and Jews. And during that time, the reign of Antichrist is in full force and you got the mark of the beast and all that kind of stuff coming up. That's spoken of in Revelation 13, 14. And uh, then the very last part of that period of seven years is called the day of the Lord. Everybody say the day of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord is a day when the wrath of God literally comes against his en enemies. And God uses the natural forces of nature to debilitate planet Earth and wreak havoc on all of the systems, ecological systems of this planet. Now, that actually starts, and I can't get too far. I can tell it's coming on me. Um, Revelation chapter 8, uh, the trumpet judgments, the trumpet blows, and, and meteorites hit this Earth. And you can read about that. Don't do it yet right now. I've talked about it in the past. Revelation 8 and 9 talks about it. And it wrecks havoc on the vegetation, wrecks havoc on both salt and fresh water. And uh, a lot of people die as a result. And the good news is we won't be here to experience that. Are you happy about it? So that's called the day of the Lord. Some people think that whole seven-year period that hasn't happened yet is the day of the Lord. No, the last I don't know what it is, two years, two and a half years or so. That's the day of the Lord. That's when all hell breaks loose and, and uh, planet Earth goes haywire. So that's in the future, and that literally is the judgment of God against his enemies. Just before that happens, the sun will be darkened, the moon will be darkened, the stars won't give their light, and Jesus will split the skies and take you to heaven, so you won't have to endure that. Is that good news? Now, I said all that, I know you got your gears turning because a lot of people think and teach, and I preached for 25 years that uh, we're going to be raptured away before the set or right at the beginning of the seven years. Now, most people in America teach and preach that because they get it from their theological institutions, and that ideology started in the 1840s. And then most of the theological books that you read have that in there, and that's where the pastors get their education. And I've read a lot of those books, and I espoused a lot of that belief system, and God rattled my cage. Many of you know that back in 2010. And uh, I just had to, I had to say, God, I, I don't want to say this. And I wet my eyeballs out about it, said, well, I've been preaching this wrong. There's no pre-tribulation rapture. There's a pre-wrath rapture, but nothing in the Bible says we're, we're immune from, uh, from uh, being persecuted for our faith. And that's what's going to happen the first few years of that seven-year period. So you need to get ready for some persecution. How many hear me? See, that makes you want to go, hip, hip, hooray. Well, God just said, don't be afraid. Power of God's going to come on you, right? Now, I said all that to say the whole reason the last four uh, Sundays I've been teaching on faith, as we go into that period, your faith will, will help you overcome every challenge, every problem from, through, through the birth pains, through the great tribulation, until Jesus whisks us away. You can operate by faith and flow in the Holy Ghost.
and God will take care of you. Uh, you will live in what uh, the Bible termed in Genesis for the people of God, Goshen. God put the, ch the children of Israel in Goshen so that when, uh, when the uh, calamities came against the gods of the Egyptians, as God came to extricate the uh, Israelites from Egypt, they weren't bothered because they lived in Goshen. And you live in Goshen. Everybody say, I live in Goshen which just means you live under the shadow of the Most High that God's promised to protect and care for you. Yes or no? That's good news. So said all that to say, now I talked about faith. And let me say this, if, if uh, I was talking the last four Sundays on faith and you don't understand uh, the principles of faith or that stuff is new, go back and listen to what I shared the last four Sundays. And, and you know, everything that we share is on our website. Uh, my, I actually publish my notes that's the notes I preach out of. And uh, you can go back and grab the notes. Go preach them somewhere or, or take them apart and, and try to refute them. Just try. I'm good. Anything I say should be backed up with Scripture, yes or no. If you're listening to anybody, if they just say what they believe, ask them where it is in the Bible. If you can't, if you can't believe it in the Bible, you, you have no reason to say it as a pastor or a minister, right? So, so I have the spirit of the Bereans. They search the scriptures, whether those things be so. But go back, and uh, if you'll just read. Now, what I've done in my life, I didn't know anything about faith as an 18-year-old when I came back to Jesus. And, and this was such a new concept of believing that you receive something that you can't see or feel or in any way distinguish with your five physical senses. God said to receive from him, you got to believe you have it before you get it. You got to act like it, talk like it, believe like it, you know, every way you can. And then suddenly, somehow, it just shows up. And that's what we're doing with the whole thing with this city. I believe I receive it. And every time I talk to the Lord, thank you for the finances. Thank you for everything being settled with the city, right? You do that for physical healing. You do it for finances. You do it for circumstantial things, whatever. Whenever I pray, that's my, that's my modus operandi. That's my method of operation. I'm going to believe I receive. And, uh, and that's, and you know, that keeps you encouraged. It keeps you uh, up when you ought to be down. It keeps you smiling when you should have a frown, right? So uh, anyway, and now today I, I want to change gears and I won't get through. We'll see how far I get um, because there's a lot of material here. All my life since I came to Jesus in uh, 1976, I know that dates me. Some of you are still an egg in your, in your mother's body, uh, <laughs> that wasn't fertilized in 1976. I mean, I get that. Uh, but in 1976, uh, in my hometown, uh, there was a, uh, uh, I came to Jesus uh, in a tremendous moving of the Holy Spirit. In our hometown, my hometown is, is Florence, South Carolina. There, as I think, you think of any more Timothy's, I think it were two charismatic churches, charisma, charis is the Greek word for grace, charismata. Um, means that you believe in the grace gifts or gifts of the Holy Spirit and you believe in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. So when somebody talks about charismatic churches, they're talking about churches that believe that the Holy Spirit still wants to work in the body of Christ the, today in the way he did in the first century. Yes or no? Now, having said that, we live in the Bible belt. Cessationists are everywhere and I have people foam at the mouth and leave. Sorry to say it that way. When I talk about the baptism with the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the healing power of God, and I was raised in a Southern Baptist church, they do not believe any of what I just said. 
None of it. Now, I love the Baptists. I get a lot of people say, but they will not go towards the baptism with the Holy Spirit, speaking in the unknown tongue, prophecy, all of the nine gifts of the Spirit enumerated, and we'll talk about them hopefully next week. They won't talk about any of that because they are cessationists, to cease cessations, a stopping. They believe that all of this was just for the early church to get the church going. And then once the church got going and the last apostle died, all of the spiritual gifts, all of the power of God, all of the healing miracles ceased. And they're called cessationists. Now I could name names of public figures that are uh, nationally and internationally known who are cessationists and you would go, oh, I didn't know that. Well, well, that's true. So what they'll never talk about is healing, spiritual gifts, the power of God and, and things like, or gifts of the spirit because all that they say was for the early church because they believe, they believe that, um, and they take out of context 1 Corinthians 13, when that which is perfect is done, as comes, then that which will be done away with, um, uh, you know, uh, will not be necessary. So when that which is perfect is come, then the gifts of the Spirit will be done away with. And they say when that which is perfect, now that we have the Bible, they didn't have the Bible as we have it in the early church. They had the Old Testament, but the New Testament was still being chronicled. The 27 books in the New Testament, they weren't yet Canaan or the rule of Scripture. Uh, it took, I think, for second century for that to begin to occur, you know, and then in 325, uh, anyway, I could go into all that. Uh, it became the rule of scripture. And uh, anyway, they say, because we have the Bible, we don't need spiritual gifts. And I say, hogwash. Um, what else could I say? It's just wrong. I can't find, in fact, Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost said, for the promises unto you and to your children. That's that generation, the next generation. And then he made a, he used a phrase, and to all that are afar off. Now, in my understanding, that would include all that are, are afar, afar off. Would that include you? Let me ask you, are you afar off from the first century church? You're, you're, you're 21 centuries later, right? Well, hey, I think it includes us. So there's nothing in the Bible that says that these gifts, spiritual gifts, the baptism with the Holy Spirit and the ensuing power that comes uh, has been done away with uh, because the Bible is now in vogue. Well, thank God for the word of God. But uh, Jesus put gifts of the Spirit, not just for the first church, and he had, it, he had it recorded in the book of Acts and in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 for a reason so that we could read, could learn about them, and we could also be used in spiritual gifts the way that the early church was. Yes or no? And then think about it this way. We've come full circle. When, um, when the church was founded uh, after Jesus rose from the dead and the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, which was a Jewish feast day in the spring of the year, when the Holy Spirit fell, that's when the church age began. And, um, and that's when spiritual gifts really began in force. And, you know, the early believers had tremendous persecution under Nero, who was a madman. He was a, he was really a paranoid schizophrenic. And, uh, uh, he had a lot of believers killed. Domitian was another one. There were several other of the, of the Roman emperors who were tyrannists and killed a lot of people. So it was great persecution of the church, and the church was blamed for the ills of the culture. Tremendous persecution. We'll see uh, the enemy's coming back full circle here now. 
And uh, one more time, he actually believes that he can take over the world. He can conquest the world and, and, and take the world over from God's rule, God's authority. And he's got his one last stand is the Antichrist and a global government. Now, that's in, in working right now. We don't know who the Antichrist is. I have some thoughts about it, but I'm not going to give my thoughts to you because I don't know, and I could be wrong. But I think the person is alive, and I know the scheme and the whole apparatus for the global government that the Bible terms the Antichrist, uh, it's, in, it's working, and they're seeking to work it out. They're seeking now to control the uh, populations of the world in all kinds of ways. Two major ways they're going to use, and I've said this before, is, uh, is number one going to be your health. Have you figured that out yet? Second way is going to be your finances, and, and we're all in the same pot. What do you, uh, people ask me all the time, what do you do with your finances? Well, I'm not going to say. I'm going to know what I do with mine, but you've got to seek God about what you do with yours because somebody's coming after him to control you, right? So anyway, all that's, uh, all that's working out. So uh, uh, we have the same challenges and pressures, and the pressure is going to be uh, as strong, if not stronger, at the last generation before Jesus comes back as it was in the first century when the church got its start. Because the enemy knew if he, could, if he could pressure believers to acquiesce and to compromise, the church would never take off. He did his level best, and he failed because he's defeated, right? Now he's coming back one more time to do it, but greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Is that right? And God's word always comes to pass. And God said it ain't going to happen. It's not going to work. He's going to try to do it, but it won't work. Now, said all that to say this sets you up for what I want to talk about today. We'll get a little ways and I'll finish it up next Sunday. Um, and I've got seven points about this. Let's say if I can get in the next few minutes to the first five. Seven points about... Uh, a fresh moving of the Holy Spirit. So I've talked about all the negatives that are coming that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24. What also is coming in juxtaposition and opposition to that. So when one extreme is you got, you got, I mean, hell on wheels coming to every person on the planet with the, with this global, uh, global issues, global problems in all kinds of ways and the global governance and all that. Uh, you got all that going on and, and nature becoming eventually haywire and there being insurrections and, and uh, wars and rumors of wars and all kinds of infectious diseases and such and, and, and um, uh, hyperinflation. I, we're already seeing that. How, I mean, when's the last time we went to the grocery store? How much did you spend? Don't answer that question. A lot. So all that's beginning to work out. But the other side of it is there is a great moving of the Holy Spirit that's coming. And that's what we've got to keep our minds on. That's what we, and the whole reason that you're here and you're not in heaven is, and the reason Jesus left you in your body when you're born again is so you could open your mouth and share Jesus with people and then share Jesus with them by how you live your life. They'll look at you and say, who are you? Why are you acting that way? Because you ought to be aggravated and you're not. How come? And you say, well, somebody lives in me. Who is it? Well, it's Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Really? What is that? Who is he? Right? That's the whole reason he left you here. So there's a tremendous move of God. We call it revival. That means it's, it's bringing to life that which is kind of, you know, um, uh, been put down. You know, you got a fire that was raging in their fireplace, and then you just got a few embers that remain. That's where the church is now. And he's about to light a fire. You ready for that? Seven things about that. Number one, the church has catered to the culture in recent years instead of the presence of God. 
How many understand what I'm saying? Uh, I got this from the book of Jeremiah back in 2019. Uh, it was like first of May. I started reading through slowly the whole book of Jeremiah along with the rest of my Bible reading. And you know, I, I'd never read it that way. And I began to cry. And I'd never, and they called Jeremiah the weeping prophet. I actually had to read and say, oh my God, that looks like America. That looks like us. He's talking to us. We've departed from God. We've departed from his ways and judgment's coming. If we don't change our ways, you used to read the book of Jeremiah. It's really like, wow, God's just so sad that his people left him and left his laws and ways and begin to worship idols and false gods. And that's what's happened in America. But Jeremiah 2.13, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Wow. That was his, that was his edict against Israel, and the modern church is that way today. In Israel, you got water three ways. Uh, you can dig a well, you dig a hole in the ground way down and, and hit, hit the uh, source of water underground, or, um, or you have a river, and that water in the river, it's, it's always moving. And so it didn't grow all these little rascals that, you know, are not healthy for you. It's, it's fresh water. Or, or for rainwater, they would literally dig a hole and put plaster on the inside of it. And when it rained, the rainwater would fill a cistern. Problem with a cistern, you get rainwater and critters and any other thing. And, and so it's not necessarily pure water, right? But if you can't find anything else, you got to use that and find a way to clean it up, heat it up and kill all the critters in it, right? So they committed two evils, forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Idea is, instead of getting what they need from me, they figured out a way to mechanically make things happen apart from me. Now, that's what the church has done, particularly in America. How many hear me? And it's left us high and dry, right? And so as a result of that, and I put this in my notes, it has affected our witness to the current culture, has now created because, because and I'll tell you why in a minute, it's created an environment where, where anything goes, an environment of deceit, a facade of wokeness to a liberal, no God, immoral lifestyle that is bringing this nation to the precipice of judgment. How many hear me? So the idea is, you know, um, if you dim the light, uh, darkness starts encroaching, right? So, so the brighter the light, the less the darkness can come. If you have no light, there's darkness. Where there is no light, there's darkness. So uh, America has been blessed. We were, we were born as a nation on the values of Judeo-Christian ethics, that is the Ten Commandments, which are good. They're still in force. As a believer, you don't live by the Ten Commandments. They're actually written on your heart. You live by them by walking in love and loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, right? So, so, you know, we're, we're not law-filled, but we have the law of God written in us. And the law of God was given to sinful man to show him how to behave in a fallen world where demon spirits are trying to wreak havoc and show, him, show people how to have a standard that would be a basis where a society could actually exist without uh, anarchy. And right now, because we have departed from the Ten Commandments in America, look where it has brought us. Now, now, who's to be reprimanded for that? The church. We lost our witness. And instead of rivers of living water, fountains of living water from the Lord, we hewn ourselves cisterns. 
And we tried to do things ourselves. You hear me? In 2009, mentioned this a few months ago, I went to hear a, a speaker at Gatlinburg, Tennessee. It's a little conference for pastors and whatever. And, and I went and... Um, and this guy had kind of a prophetic type ministry. As I said, Jesus appeared to him in 2007. I was there in 2009. He said a couple of years prior, Jesus appeared to him. And uh, he said he's one of those kind of people have those kind of experiences. And uh, a prophet's ministry is where you see into the spirit realm. And, and, you know, they can see angels and Jesus and demons and all that. I don't have any of that, but he did. And here's what he said. And you know what? What he said has come to pass. And, and I looked at him while he was talking and I was sitting there in my chair and I'm thinking, hmm, hmm. Here's what he said. He said, he said, there is coming a division in the church. He said, Jesus told him in 2007, there's coming a great division in the church of Jesus, particularly in America. He said, there will be churches who are seeker sensitive. Now, back in 1995, Rick Warren wrote the book, Seeker Sensitive Churches, I think is the name of it. And I read that. I went to Siberia of all places. I know it's weird. Uh, 1995, and I read that on the plane all the way there and read it all the way back. And if I had any time, which I had a little time, in my room, my hotel room in Siberia, I read it. But I read the whole book and I understood what he was saying. He was saying, find out what people like and give it to them in your church service. So we started doing that. And by 2000, by the, by into the first decade of the 2000s, uh, churches uh, by and large really adapted that methodology. And you know what I'm talking about, don't you? And so what arose from that were large, mega, and there's nothing wrong. If you've got a big church, nothing wrong with it. If you've got a small church, nothing wrong with it. Jesus wants all kinds of sizes of churches. Just because you've got a small church, a medium church, a mega church, don't matter. The size don't matter. What matters is what you're preaching and teaching and how the people are living. But here's what happened. Here's what happened over the last 15 years or so. That seeker-sensitive thing crept in. You know, I don't mind, you know, well, I get it. Part of that's the lights, you know, and the smoky smoke stuff, the false glory, whatever. I don't mind the smoky smoke. Uh, they say it makes the lights look prettier. That's fine with me. But you know, it really don't matter if you close your eyes and you think about being in the presence of Jesus. Y'all listen, I've worshiped under oak, big old oak trees and Bill's been with me. Remember that? Woo, glory, right by a river. Ha, it was hot and stinky and nasty. But the presence of Jesus was there. I've preached on in churches with dirt floors, and so have you, right? Remember? Yeah, in, in Africa, I'm talking about Africa. See, it's, it's not the dwelling. It's who's in the dwelling, what you're catering to. So what we've done is we started catering to our culture instead of to Jesus. Instead of preaching the word, just kind of, you know, calmed it down a little bit. Instead of talking about, talking about the verities of the word of God and the things that would make you a strong believer, we started compromising. And as a result, the sexual sin in some ways is as worse that is in the church as it is in the world. Did you hear me? And now there are whole denominations that are splitting because of the homosexual agenda. Of course, in 2015, June of 2015, our government sinned against God. And they said marriage could not, was not only between a man and a woman, but it could be between a woman and a woman and a man and a man. And that violates God. And that violates nature. Nature is not set up that way, right? And so we've just kind of devolved from there and digressed from there. And there's huge problems. And any church that stopped preaching the word and became seeker, quote, seeker sensitive, they lost the presence of God. And instead of drawing the culture, the culture came into the church and watered down the gospel and the power that could change lives. Yes or no? 
now. Uh, so anyway, so um, now, and so he said there would be churches that would be seeker-sensitive churches. Jesus told him in 2007, this minister. And then there'd be other churches that are word. He called them word and spirit. Now, I would say that Victory Church is a word and spirit church. Now, you got to judge that. Do you think that's true? Or are we seeker-sensitive? I'd just be real with you. There's a lot of things I wouldn't say if I was seeker-sensitive. Would you agree with that? Now, I love you, and I'm sensitive to, I love you, I care about you, but I'm sensitive to Jesus. And if you don't like what Jesus says, I, like, I love you, but I like him more. And I want to lead you to him, right? So here's what he said. I said all that, taking too long, I get it. But listen, here's what he said. In the future, he said, this thing's going to flip again. He said, these seeker-sensitive churches will rise and they will become stronger. Listen, they will become stronger than the word and spirit churches that flow with the Holy Spirit and preach and teach the word. Now, that's happened over the last 15 years. Now, you've got people in this room from all over the place. You're watching me. You could be watching me from another state or another country at this point, right? And you have to say that's, that's correct. And, and, and that's taken the precedence. The, 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 the seeker-sensitive stuff's taken the precedence over the last 15 years. But, he said, just before Jesus comes back, there will be a shift. That's what Jesus told him. There'll be a shift again. And the word and spirit churches will come back to the ascendancy and they'll rise and become strong. In fact, stronger than the seeker-sensitive churches because people have had enough of the facade. How many hear what I'm saying? And, you know, in a lot of ways in culture, we're that way now. People want the real. They're, they're, they're tired of the stuff that's not real. I mean, you know, when I buy furniture, I want me some real stuff. Susan, I bought a new, you know, furniture for a bedroom. That's real, that's real wood. It doesn't have false wood on top. It's real through and through. Don't you like that? And see, people are wanting that in their life with Jesus. They want something that works, something that's dynamic, something that's real, and something that's full of God. Yes or no? So um, we changed our church services this past March. And, and I can be honest with you, it bothered me. You know, we had uh, two services on Sunday mornings for 19 years. We started March of 2004, and then we stopped in March of 2023, this year. And, and to be real with you, it just really, I think it was my ego. Because my pastor friend said, how many church services? I got, I got two. And I can tell you that because I went to Jesus and said, you know, I think there's some pride in me, Lord. He said, you think? <laughs> and, you know, the staff would mention it to me over a period of months, over and over. You know, maybe you just ought to go to one. Because let's get real. A lot of people didn't come back to church after COVID. Huh? Now, you know, we lost a bunch of people in COVID. And most churches have lots and lots. Half or more. Half or more. And, uh, Pastor friends that go to conferences and they talk about it, you know. Uh, I don't I, I could get into weeds on this. I don't guess I need to. There's one church had 16,000. They dropped down to 6,000 post-COVID. So, I mean, you know, a lot, you know. 
So anyway, every church had to deal with the numbers, and you know, we we dropped, and uh, so we could go to one service. I found I just didn't want to, and again, it was my pride. But God started speaking to me. Um, oh, the last year, the uh, last quarter of last year, maybe the last two quarters of last year. Yeah, I'd be praying, and I'm thinking, you know, go to one service. I don't, I don't want to do that. But but I started getting real dissatisfied. Because, you know, you got to stop. We'd be done right now. Maybe y'all want me to be done now, right? No? Uh, Because we got to stop because we got to start the next service, you know, in in 35 minutes. And and something inside me says you're leaving something off. And I had an inward impression. Things are going to start changing. Uh, And here's the impression. I just got to tell you, the impression I got was things are going to become so serious that that. People are going to want me, God's saying. People are going to want me, the Lord, more than anything in life. And you need to create an environment. You know, the Holy Spirit don't stick to your timeline. And your stopwatch. You know, I am a, a watch watcher. Ask Susan. You, she can tell you what time I get up, and I plan everything with time. But you can't do that with the Holy Spirit. Right? And that's where we're missing it in the local church in America today. You go to, I mean, listen, I've been to 17 countries. I've been all over India, literally. And I've been mostly in uh, Ethiopia, in Africa, a couple other places, um, Kenya, uh, Congo. Uh, but there, when you have service, church service, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> we don't care about time. We're going to have God. We're going to have church. And they just stay all day. They don't care. But really, they don't have anything else to do. We got so much to do in America. Got to time it all out, which I understand if you got kids and their little bellies get to grumbling and then need to take their naps. If we go too long, you, you got to say, like, I got to get out of here. My kids are going to walk the walls, walls all the way up and down when I get home. And they're going to be screaming in the car on the way, right? So I get all that. But there needs to be room for the Holy Spirit. We're seeking to make that, right? Uh, second thing I want to mention is God wants to use us to minister his life to the people around us. Yes or no? This is the day for evangelism. This is the day to be bold in Jesus. Maybe you've never shared Jesus a lot. Today's the day to let your light shine. Today, Listen, I was walking in. I was just, <laughs> Susan, I've been gone all week. We got back Thursday, and I said, Susan, I'm taking, because I walk every day. And so I was walking. I was just taking my little walk, you know, and I'm walking through my neighborhood. And we got really nice sidewalk. And, and I heard behind me, hey, can I talk to you? And it's one of my neighbors. I'd never met him, a real nice guy. I found out he works with the sheriff's department. And he said, can I? he even knew me. I said, well, I don't know you. Well, sure. And he told me his name. And he even knew where I lived. I said, we started talking because, you know, my yard, my yard. <laughs> and then I lit my house up at night, my lights and all that. So we got to talking about that. But you know what happened at the very end of the conversation? It just, it just, y'all, it just came on me. And this is what's going to happen to you. I don't care who, what you're talking about, who you're talking to, or where it's at. Here's what's going to start happening. The Lord's going to come on you because the Lord came on me. He was talking, this man was talking to me. We're talking about natural things. And all of a sudden it come out of my mouth. Can I, can I pray for you? And I laid my big burly hand on his shoulder. And I started praying for him. And I prayed for him not long, but when I finished, he looked at me and said, thank you. See, that's called seed planting. And God's called you to be a farmer. 
and the seeds you plant are the Word of God. And God wants you to look to do it every day. Yes or no? And there's a boldness to do that now, right? So James 5, dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rain in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. So God's, God's waiting. He's waiting for the, uh, the harvest of souls, just like a farmer patiently waits for the crop to mature so he can reap it. God is waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. Second Peter 3, 9 says this, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think about his return. Uh, no, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. I didn't take time to read 2 Peter 3, but it talks about a judgment of fire. That's probably the asteroids that are at some point going to hit the earth after the rapture of the church. Now, I had this in one of my uh, messages, and I never shared it, I don't think. Um, Thomas Horn wrote a book uh, back in 2000. 19, 2020, he, uh, Thomas Horn, just, he's got some interesting stuff. He's kind of a heady, kind of a smart intellectual guy, but uh, really at the same time a spiritual kind of a guy. But uh, he actually, he's had dreams that turned out to be true all of his life, and he had a dream. And, uh, and he saw an asteroid hit the earth and uh, right off the, uh, coast, the Pacific coast of California and Mexico, and then uh, it so bothered him, it was very detailed, and uh, he knew it was from the Lord. And, and then he got the name of the asteroid, and the name was Apophis. Apophis is the, and, and he you know, had taken some Greek mythology, and that's the Greek god of destruction, Apophis. Then he did some research, and he had some friends uh, who worked for NASA, and then some mathematicians, one of the top, several of the top mathematicians in the world that actually worked for Google and some other companies. And he ran this stuff by them, and here's what he, he said. He said, I saw an asteroid hit, and then when he talked to his friends from NASA, you know what they said? They said, well, we haven't told anybody. We didn't want to scare them, but we found an asteroid. Uh, mass times velocity times weight times trajectory equals April 13th, 2029. It impacts the earth. There's a high probability. So there's a small probability that it could be uh, come encounter the moon and then the gravitational effects of the moon could counteract and, and push it out for seven more years, but then it comes right back. But it looks like could be a direct impact with the earth. Now, they have not said anything to the public about it for, for a and they discovered it in 2004. And guess what they called the asteroid at NASA? Apophis. So when he got that word in his dream and he talked to the people at NASA, said, Jesus, help us today. So then the math, that, he checked out all the calculations with several mathematicians, and that's what they're saying, April 13th, 2029. Now, see, if that's true, that lines right up with a lot of... Uh, Wow, a lot of things I know about the scriptures and I know about that seven years and it falls right in line if that seven-year period begins and a few years later, asteroids hit, impact, Revelation 8. Wow. So just be aware of all that. Don't let it scare you. But it does. So what if you just had till 2029 to get your little ducky ducks in a row? Maybe it's time to do it now. Maybe it's time not to wait. Well, I want to sin until I just can't sin anymore. Then I can repent. If you're thinking that, you just, 
you just dumb as dirt. I don't know what else to say. He just dumb, dude. He dumb. That that's a risk. And man, you could lose that day. You could lose that draw. You hear me? You could lose bad. Don't do it. Now it's time to seek God, right? And don't let that, I mean, some people here, they go, oh my God, oh my God. They go, some of you are going to obsess, obsess over that all day. Go take it to Jesus. I'm ready to go to heaven, are you? I'm living with heaven in sight, right? And see, so you ought to be live every day as if it were your last anyhow, right? My life's not my own, right? So your problem's going to be if you value things here more than things up in heaven. Then you got problems with what I just said, right? Anyway, I said all that to say, man, we got a lot, a lot to do, and there's a huge move of God coming. Now I'm looking at the time, and it looks like, hmm, I just want to read this. Yield to the, this is number three, and I'll stop with three and get the other ones next week. Yield to the hunger you find inside. I believe God's you know, putting a honing device in the church right now. It's like, get hungry. How many hear what I'm saying? Get hungry. And that hunger um, starts really with dissatisfaction, right? Spiritual hunger, you know, physical hunger. Now, I was hungry most all day yesterday because I walked three miles and uh, I just got hungry. It's like, man, give me some nuts today because I eat nuts because that high in protein. Curb your hunger, sate your hunger. But uh, hungers, physical hunger is different. Spiritual hunger manifest with dissatisfaction. So, so if you're just like ill at ease and you're not happy with yourself and you're not satisfied, that's a telltale sign Jesus is working in you. How many hear what I said? Or it could be you just in sin, need to repent, right? Now it could be both really. But if you're, you know, you're seeking God, you're not perfect, but you're seeking God, want his best, and you're just not happy yet, satisfied completely. It's, it's a hunger. Zechariah 10, 1 said, Ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. The Lord will make flashing clouds, give them showers of rain, grass in the field for everyone. Then Isaiah 60, verses 1 and, uh, through 3 says this, and I've got, I'm going to stop with this, and I want to read something to you out of a couple of books. Um, Arise, shine, your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Darkness shall cover the earth and deep or gross darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. I've mentioned that quite a bit in the past. But again, he's talking about darkness covering the earth and deep darkness. Now that's probably speaking of um, the the um, loose morals and the deprivation that's happening uh, worldwide right now with morals. Anything goes with the wokeness, if you know what I mean by that, and all that it entails. And then at the same time, he said, the Lord will arise over you. His glory will be seen upon you. Now, uh, that bespeaks that something that God does in the, in the middle of something awful that is absolutely grand. Did you hear me? I've got a lot of scripture here, uh, and I'll cover that next week. But right now, I just want to stop. I'll come back to one thing that's in my notes. If you don't have my notes today, make sure you go get them online and read them. There's uh, two things at the end. One of them I'm going to read. The other one I don't think I'll have time. But I want to go to my uh, Kindle book reserve here on my iPad and uh, there are two books I just want to read ex excerpts from. The first one is a book entitled Pioneers of Faith by Lester Sumrall. He died in 1996, a wonderful man of God that really had a supernatural life in a lot of ways. He was an apostle of, of God, established churches all over the world, went to, I think he visited 110 nations in his, 
in his lifespan. He died at age 83. But uh, he met with Smith Wigglesworth back in the uh, 1940s um, uh, during World War II. And Smith Wigglesworth prayed for him and laid hands on him. And because he would, he had to go back to America because of the war. And I'm just going to read what he said, and you'll get what I mean. There's something coming here. I've been hearing this all my life, and we're right on the verge of it. And listen to what Smith Wigglesworth said to Lester Summerall. Uh, he, he held him. He said, I felt the holy anointing of the Most High God as it flowed from him into me. As he broke the embrace, he said, Smith Wigglesworth said to Lester Summerall, you will be blessed and faith will reside within you and you will do unusual things. Then he stopped a moment, opened his eyes and said, I wish to tell you something. And his eyes looked at his eyes looked as Elijah's must have when he saw the chariots of fire coming, the clouds. I said, yes, he exclaimed, I see it, I see it. What do you see, I asked. Shutting his eyes again, um, Smith Wigglesworth said, I see the greatest revivals in the history of mankind coming to planet Earth, maybe as never before. I see the dead raised. I see every form of disease healed. Now, this seems really outlandish. He says, I, I see whole hospitals emptied with no one there. Even the doctors are running down the street shouting. He told me there would be untold numbers of unaccountable multitudes that would be saved. No man will say so many, so many, because nobody will be able to count those who come to Jesus. No disease will be able to stand before God's people. It will be a worldwide situation, not local, he said, a worldwide thrust of God's power and God's anointing upon mankind. Isn't that awesome? Wow, I've heard this ever since 1976. I started to say earlier in 19... Y'all okay? I won't be done in a minute. Y'all okay? You got to take a bathroom break? I mean, come on. I'm about done. Huh? Come on. Thank you. I got permission from him. I'm good. Um, I, I just want to mention as I get to this other book is that, um, you know, my hometown, there was a real moving of the Holy Spirit in 1976, 75, 76, all that. Uh, um, it was right after, you know, the hippie days and and I know all that, and, um, and LSD had become popularized and heroin and smoking pot and all that. And uh, there was just a move of the Holy Spirit in my hometown. In fact, what happened was the denominational churches came to our church, and we would have a Thursday night service. I, you remember this? I, I still see it, and I think about it every once in a while. We'd have a Thursday night service, and we had Thursday because most traditional churches still had Wednesday night services. We had a Thursday night service so people from other churches could come to our church. So, And the pastor, we'd pray, my God, we would pray. Jesus, we would pray. And uh, and, you know, we would have praise and worship and the pastor would preach. But y'all, people came uh, from every denominational church in our city. And I'm not exaggerating when I say Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Episcopalian. We had a Catholic church in our town, uh, Church of God, Assemblies of God, Nazarene, you name it, they came. Uh, I mean, we just filled the whole building up as old Baptist church. I had a big old pipe organ in it, had a, a double decker, you know, had a little place in the back, you know, for overflow. And uh, I mean, we just filled the whole place up. He'd preach and y'all, I mean, I can close my eyes and still see it. He'd give an altar call on Thursday nights. The entire front of the auditorium would just fill up, you know, double three, three deep with people. And they're coming to be saved and be filled with the Holy Ghost. <laughs> even, the, even the music director from my Southern Baptist church was up there one day. He didn't fall backwards. He fell over about on the guy that prayed for him. So, I mean, it was just crazy. It's a crazy time. God was doing something. So it's called the charismatic movement. 
where God by score baptized people in denominational churches in the Holy Ghost. My mother received that experience in February of 1975 just in a Baptist ladies' prayer meeting in a ladies' living room. I've told many, you've heard if you've been in a length of time here, I've talked about that. My mother got filled with the Holy Spirit and didn't know what happened to her. I got it the next year. But there was just a real moving. There was a revival in my hometown. That's what I'm trying to tell you. There's a revival coming again. And it's going to eclipse anything that's ever happened. How many hear what I'm saying? I want you to get ready. I just want you to get ready for it. That's all. Just get ready or you're going to be left high and dry. And I promise when the meteorites fall, you stinking don't want to be here. You hear me? So listen to this. This is from, uh, everybody Okay. I got this. One more thing. We're done. We'll go home. Uh, this is from a book that was written, actually copyright 74, 1975 by Kenneth Hagan called I Believe in Visions. Now, Kenneth Hagan had a prophet's ministry. He died at age 86 in 2003. It's one of the three Bible schools, like I said, that I attended. And uh, I had privileged because Susan and I lived in Tulsa for eight years. I would frequent his meetings a lot. And I heard him say a lot of this stuff in person, just listening to him over the years. And I had listened to a lot of his cassette tapes in the 70s before I ever went to his Bible school. So anyway, he had Jesus appear to him eight times in the 1950s in that book, I Believe in Visions, chronicles that. And uh, Brother Hagen, you know, he would say this. He said, before I came, became a pastor when I was a teenager, I wanted to be, I wanted to be an attorney because he was physically ill until God healed him at age 16. He would go downtown to the courthouse and he would listen to the, he would listen to the lawyers argue a case. And if you, if you know him and have heard his ministry, he would preach that way. He'd kind of argue his case, so to speak. So anyway, uh, I said all that to give a little bit of credence to what I'm about to read. So this is one of the visions that he had. This is actually, um, what's that, 72 years ago when he had this vision, September 2nd. 1950, so I'm going to jump right in the middle of it. He had a tent meeting in, in Rockwall, Texas, and not many people were in the meeting, and uh, he was on the platform ministering, and they prayed a little bit. Suddenly, he's not in the tent, and Jesus appeared to him. It's really astounding. Go read it. It's really astounding. So here we are in the middle. I've got a reason, and you'll see the reason when we start reading. So let's listen to this. So he says, uh, something happened, and Jesus took him somewhere. He came back. About that time, the Holy Spirit came upon me again. It seemed as if a wind were blowing on me, and I fell flat on my face on the platform. This is Rockwall, Texas, September 2nd, 1950, as I, in a tent, as I, which was popular at the time. As I lay under the power of God, it seemed as if we were standing high on a plane somewhere in space and I could see for miles and miles around me. Just as one can stand on the great plains of the United States and gaze off into the distance for miles. I looked in every direction but I couldn't see a sign of life anywhere. There were no trees or grass, no flowers or vegetation of any kind. There were no birds or animals. I felt so lonely I was not conscious of my earthly surroundings. As I looked to the west I saw what appeared to be a tiny dot on the horizon. It was the only moving thing I could see as I watched it grew larger and came toward me taking on shape and form. Uh, soon I could see it was a horse. As it came closer, I could see a man upon the horse. He was riding towards me at full speed. As he approached, I could see he held the reins of the horse's bridle in his right hand and in his left hand, high above his head, he held a scroll of paper. When the horseman reached me, he pulled on the reins and stopped. I stood on his right. He passed the scroll from his left hand to his right hand handed it to me as I unrolled the scroll which was a roll of paper 12 or, or 14 inches 
long, he said, take and read at the top of the page in big, bold, black print were the words war and destruction. I was struck dumb. He laid his right hand on my head and said, read in the name of Jesus Christ. I began to read what was written on the paper. And as the words instructed me, I looked and saw what I just read about. First, I read about thousands upon thousands of men in uniform. Then I looked and saw the men marching. He would read it and then go see what he read. A wave after wave of soldiers marching as to war. I looked in the direction they were going. And as far as I could see, there were thousands of men marching. I turned to read the scroll again and then looked and saw what I just read about. I saw many women, old women with snowy white hair, middle-aged women, young women and teenagers. Some of the younger ones held babies in their arms. All of the women were bowed together in sorrow and were weeping profusely. Those who did not carry babies held their hands on their stomachs and they bowed over and wept. Tears flowed from their eyes like water. I looked at the scroll again and again. I looked to see what I'd read about. I saw the skyline of a large city. Looking closer, I saw the skyscrapers were burned out holes. Portions of the city lay in ruins. It was not written that just one city would be destroyed, burned and in ruins, but that there would be many such cities destroyed. And then this next section is called America's Last Call. The scroll was written in the first person and seemed as if Jesus himself were speaking. I read, America is receiving her last call. Some nations have received their last call and will never receive another. Then in large print it said, the time of the end of all things is at hand. This statement was repeated four or five times. Jesus also said that this was the last great revival. He went on to say all the gifts of the Spirit will be an operation. Listen, all of the gifts of the Spirit will be in operation in the church in the last days, and the church will do greater things than even the early church did. It will have greater power, signs, wonders than were recorded in the Acts of the Apostles. He said that we have seen and experienced many healings, but we will now behold amazing miracles that have not been seen before. Jesus continued, more and more miracles will be performed in the last days, which are just ahead for us the time for the gift of working of miracles to be in more prominence. We have now entered into the era of the miraculous. Then he went on to say, and about done with this one, many of my own people will not listen. Many of my own people will not accept the moving of my spirit. That bothers me. I don't want to be in that camp. How about you? Many of, this is a quote from Jesus when he appeared to him. Many of my own people will not accept the moving of my spirit and will turn back and not be ready to meet me at my coming. Do you want that to be you? I don't want either. Many will be deceived by false prophets and miracles of satanic origin. But follow the word of God, the spirit of God in me, and you will not be deceived. I'm gathering my own together and I'm preparing them for the time is short. Now, that's 72 years ago. If it was short 72 years ago, what about now? There are several other exhortations to watchfulness, to awaken and pray and not be deceived. And then I read, as it was in the days of Noah, so also shall be the coming of the Son of Man. As I spoke to Noah and said, for seven days, yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and every living substance that I've made will destroy, I will destroy from off the face of the earth, Genesis 7, 4. So today I'm giving America her last warning and call to repentance, and the time that is left is constantly comparable to the last seven days of Noah's time. Then he says this, warn this generation as did Noah his generation for judgment is about to fall. And these sayings shall be fulfilled shortly. 
uh, for I am coming soon. Jesus repeated, this is the last revival. I'm preparing my people for my coming. Judgment is coming, but I will call my people away even unto myself before the worst shall come. But be thou faithful, watch and pray for the time of the end of all things as a hand. So don't forget, a day where the Lord is as a thousand years, a thousand years. He didn't dwell in time. So what's short to God seems long. That's 70 years a long time. That's a lifetime, right? So, uh, so isn't that interesting? Uh, one more thing. Y'all got time for one more thing? Okay, um, and I'll, I really will let you go. Uh, this is the, uh, an addition at the very ends of, end of my notes that I didn't finish today. And, and, but I want you to read it. Go back and read it online. I got this. Um, uh, I subscribed in 2014. I subscribed to uh, um, Carrot, the Charisma magazine uh, out of Florida. And, uh, and I was just reading it and came across this article. So, well, my Lord, this man's just right. This is, this is amazing. So uh, this guy named Mark Barkley had a, an article that was placed in the Charisma magazine, December uh, 2014. Now, Mark Barkley is a wonderful man of God. I think he was a general in the army during uh, the Vietnam War. Uh, he uh, is a good friend of uh, Kenneth Copeland and all those guys. And he preaches at some of his events. I'm actually going to see Mark Barkley in November. Which, so you come and witness you? But it's a closed minister meeting. Only about 100 guys can go. So I signed up and I'm going. So, yee. Anyway, he wrote this. Now, now uh, Mark Barkley was at a, a, a meeting that Kenneth Hagin had for years and years and years called Camp Meeting. And Kenneth Hagin started Camp Meeting in uh, 1973, I believe. And it got so big that they started renting a big civic center downtown Tulsa that would seat 10,000 people. In 1978, me and a bunch of crazy friends, Bible school friends, uh, stayed at the KOA campground, Tulsa, Oklahoma, <laughs> and slept under the stars, and I'd wake up with dew on my face, on my head, and then go take a shower. And go, but we'd stay all day in meetings. So anyway, he was preaching at Kenneth Hagin's camp meeting, and I remember being there. My son was three years old. My son will be 39 next month. So my son was beside me, and I was there when this happened. So here's what he says, uh, Mark Barclay. In 1987, I was a speaker at camp meeting in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I spoke during the Thursday evening service, and I remember it. Dr. Kenneth E. Hagan spoke during the Friday evening service. I remember that I had just flown in from my meetings in, from meetings in Paris, France. I mentioned to my wife how much I would like to stay and hear Dr. Hagan speak. She agreed. As Dr. Hagan entered the pulpit, he began to pray in tongues. When Now, praying in tongues is something happens to people baptized with the Holy Ghost. How many understand that? So if you haven't received that, you can, and I have, and it'll change your life. Um, a moment later, I was uh, uh, caught up in a vision. I was told later it's probably more like a trance. As I went into this vision, I remember how Dr. Hagen's voice was getting quieter and quieter until he could hear him no more. It was so quiet all around me, I felt like I could hear my own heartbeat. Now, I've read this in our prayer meetings many times, but I don't know that I've read this on a Sunday morning in a long time. But listen, all of a sudden, I felt evil as if it were surrounding me. Anger rose up in me, and, and um, fear tried to get a grip on me. Suddenly, something caught my attention out of my left eye. I turned hard to the left to see what it was. I saw the circumference of the earth from one edge to the other, and this horrible dark cloud, black dark cloud was rising up over the horizon. Somehow I knew it would eventually fill the entire earth. An alarm went off in me, screaming to me to run away from it as fast as I could. I felt like I should scream at it, stop it in its tracks by using the name of Jesus. I began to rebuke it and started to say in the name of Jesus, it didn't quite 
I didn't quite get it out. And the Lord said, that will do you no good. What? I said, the Lord said, son, you cannot use my name to stop what I prophesied. I am not causing this dark cloud, but I did prophesy it would happen in the last days. I remember in the vision that I asked the Lord, what is this? What is this evil, tempestuous, dark cloud? The Lord said, this is what I showed my prophet. And I just read that, Isaiah 60, verse 1 and 2. This is every evil thing you can name. It's every demon, every disease, sickness, bacterial attacks that haven't even been discovered yet. It will cause humans to do things to humans that aren't even human. It's filled with insanity. Many people will lose their mind and their faculties. It's murder, terror, rape, abuse, terrorism, torture, and much worse. It's filled with deceptions, heresies, perversions, and filth. Some of these these things the Lord showed me I have not had permission to... um, speak. I also saw people, many, many people, some were running into the dark cloud. Some were being sucked into it. It reminded me of this very powerful shop vac I have. It not only suck up the dirt, but also my tools if I don't pay attention. I saw many people screaming with terror, actually being dragged into this cloud. Though they were refusing it and resisting it with all their strength, they did not possess the power to stop it. I was so disturbed when I saw a cross on someone's pocket or jewelry. I remember saying to the Lord, who are those people being drawn into this filth and terror? wearing the Christian symbol of the cross. Who are these people not even resisting? Who are these people resisting with all their might, but it does them no good? They just keep disappearing in this horrible evil of cloud of gross darkness. The Lord answered and said, oh, these are those who have not clean hands and a pure heart. They have been warned, but ignored the warnings. Some even wanted this filth as their lifestyle. I asked, well, who are these wearing the cross? Oh, the Lord said, these are the people who claim me as Savior. Many of them had desired this filth and even fought for it. They make excuses but are not excused. The ones um, are resisting thought my prophets were exaggerating and from the old school, and they denied the warnings, and now this evil has come. They possess little to no power, certainly not enough to resist and overcome this horrible onslaught of enemy power. Only those with clean hands and a pure heart will be able to totally resist this. It will cover the earth. There was much more to this, but I began to come out of the vision. And once again, her brother, he speaking in tongues from the pulpit. I was there. I remember. Uh, I didn't know he was having this. I asked my wife what happened and she said nothing. He hasn't done anything but pray in the spirit. I began to realize that nobody seemed to see the vision or get caught up into the trance but me. I held my wife's hand a little tighter and began to pray fervently in the spirit. As I did, I got caught up in the spirit again, just like before Brother Higgins' voice got quieter and quieter until um, uh, it was gone. I found myself uh, uh, alone again. It was so quiet I could hear my own heartbeat. Suddenly a piercing light hit the corner of my right eye. It was so bright that instantly I shrouded my head with my hands and arms. It reminded me of the intense light that my optometrist uses to examine the back of my eyes. Actually, it was much brighter than that. Everything within me said, turn and look into it. Turn now, run into it. Yet there was this hesitation because it was so bright it seemed to shine through me. Finally, I gave it... Uh, I gave in to it, looked directly at it. With both eyes, I saw the depth of this bright cloud. Just like the dark cloud I'd seen before, it was coming up over the horizon of the earth. I could tell that it was going to cover the planet. I just knew that I knew that nothing could stop it. I remembered asking the Lord, what is this? What is this massive, earth-consuming, bright cloud? The Lord answered, oh, this is my glory. This is the glory cloud I showed my prophet Isaiah. Again, Isaiah 61 and 2. This is what I promised that my glory will fill the whole earth. Well, I ask, what's inside the cloud? It's filled with the greatest miracles humans have ever seen. It's filled with healing for every disease, a cure for every sickness. It's power to overcome 
um, sin and filth to receive truth, reject error, heresy, doctrines of demons. It's the full manifestation of my spirit. It's full, the full anointing of Jesus Christ and more. He showed me other things. I have no permission to speak. I saw people in this vision, just like before in the cloud of darkness. Many, many were running into it, almost frolicking in it. It was like my first response, too bright to behold, and then I wanted to run into it. Uh, there were those who seemed to... Uh, to want to pull away from this cloud. Lord, who will enter this great glory of God and see this awesome power, I ask. Those who have pure uh, heart and clean hands, the Lord answered, they are the ones who will escape this horrible vacuum of evil dark cloud and be consumed with my glory. I will require you to tell these things to my people at an appointed time. And this was, what, nine years ago. Now is the time as I travel the world over, I see both of these manifestations happening. In fact, I see the begin, them beginning to intensify. And this was nine years ago, y'all. Sometimes I say that both God and Satan are having a revival among men. We will now see more and more people running to each cloud, so causing a great gulf or divide. Could this be the separation of sheep and goats or separation of wheat and tares? I'm not a conspiracy theory person. I'm not a fear-based preacher. I'm not a prophet of doom. So what I'm saying is none of these, but I actually... Uh, I am actually witnessing the spirits of the Antichrist prepping the people of earth, including many churchgoers, for the arrival of the Antichrist himself. I see demons, spirits of the Antichrist going throughout all the earth. They're slowly reprogramming the minds of men, doctrines of demons, to systematically disassemble the work of Christ and disengage the army of God. You can avoid this if you choose. If you choose not to, you will suffer the consequences. Don't do that. Isn't that something? Whoa, whoa. So we're living in a strange day. It's, it's, it's the best and the worst all at the same time, all combined in a great big package. And what we do, we choose where we're going. Where are you going? Let me tell you where I'm going. I want you to go with me. I'm going towards God. And I plan on getting stronger than I ever have. I plan on praying more, reading more, preaching more, prophesying more, laying hands on the sick more, witnessing uh, to people about Jesus more. How about you? I don't plan on being deterred. Come what? May, right? So I want to encourage you to come. And, and you got to make a choice. Either you're going to walk with God and do his will, or you, it, it now, it used to be you could kind of, you know, put your, put your foot over here on one side, and they got to, and then put a foot, foot over here, and you got kind of the middle, the middle partition. If you do that now, you fail. You go to the dark side. If you compromise now, you lose. And we got a lot of compromising in America. So my heart for me and all of us, we don't compromise. How many hear me? Y'all got it? How many want to live a non-compromising life? You say, but pastor, I struggle. God understands your struggle. And I'm telling you, beginning today, you're going to notice when you struggle and want to do what you know you shouldn't, there's somebody inside you going to start rising up a whole lot and say, whoa, 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 let me help you. Let me help you. And if you, if you do it, repent. Say, God, help me overcome that little bit by little bit. Sometimes it'll be instantaneous. Other times it'll be, a, it'll be a work of grace and it gradually gets lesser, lesser, lesser and then you just cut it off. You good? How many are ready to walk with Jesus? Next time we come back, I want to talk about spiritual gifts because they are for every believer. You know, sometimes uh, the average believer looks at spiritual gifts so well. That's for pastors, men of God, people that are real anointed. No, you're anointed. You have the Holy Ghost in you. You can minister the power of God. You can minister the life of God to the people around you. Yes or no? And you just got to want it.